So this morning I want to talk about a relatively familiar passage, uh, or at least a verse of scripture to us, but I wanted to put some context around it. Um, I want us to try to understand a little bit more clearly what the verse means in the midst of the passage of scripture that it's located in. So the situation for this passage of scripture is that the Israelites had been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, spell that for me, never mind, and taken to Babylon in exile. Uh, there were some false prophets in, in, the, in, the, in, in Babylon, Shemaiah the Nehamalite, spell it for me, <laughs> that were, <laughs> that's fast, that's good, good job. Um, that were telling the people that they would be able to come home soon. So they're in Babylon. They've been taken from their home. And, these, and Shemaiah and some of his cohorts were telling, telling folks, well, don't worry about it because you're going to get to go home, and it's all good. And then uh, Zephaniah, who was a different prophet, uh, read Jeremiah's prophet to, uh, prophecy to the people, which was pretty much exactly the opposite of what Shemaiah had been saying. And so I want to spend some time with what Jeremiah had to say. So he, this is from uh, Jeremiah. It's in chapter 29, beginning at verse 4. This would be what Zephaniah presented to the people. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity in the city to which I carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. See, Jeremiah is telling them, hey, settle in, guys. It's going to be a minute. You're going to be there for a while. You're not going anywhere. I know these other guys are telling you. That, you know, don't, don't sweat it. We're, God, God's going to come and he's going to deliver us from this immediately. But Jeremiah is telling him, look, it's going to take a little while for, for you to come back. Embrace the difficult circumstance. Embrace this, this struggle. Use it to your advantage, in fact. Prosper while you're in exile. And that, that's exactly what they did. They spent the time there growing and becoming uh, larger and prospering so that when they came back, they would have more prosperity than what they left with. And that is a struggle for us. I mean, in, in our lives, you know, none of us want to face difficulty or want to face struggle, in our, but, but it's going to come. We're going to have ups and downs and sideways and upside downs and all of these, these things in our life. So what do we do with them? And what Jeremiah would challenge us to look at is, okay, how are you going to grow? How are you going to learn from it? How is it going to enhance and prosper you in the long run? And are you going to trust that God is actually with you and is going to deliver you from this struggle, from this difficulty in your life? Charles Colson was an aide to President Richard Nixon. Some of y'all recognize the name. He was sent to jail in 1974 for a crime he definitely committed. He uh, he, he became a convict, and, but as a result of that, as a result of being in prison, Colson founded Prison Fellowship Ministry after his release. He helped convicts come to know Christ and start a new life, and it's now become the world's largest Christian outreach to prisoners 
and their families. Prison Fellowship it has more than 50,000 volunteers working in it. And it, they're in hundreds of prisons in 88 countries around the world. And that ministry got started 42 years ago because Charles Colson committed a crime and was imprisoned. And his time he spent in prison became a turning point in his life. And all, we may not be in prison, but we have stuff going on in our lives. We have stuff that imprisons us. We have stuff that traps us, that keeps us from becoming who God created us to be. So what are we going to do with that? Because I do believe that God wants to use those circumstances to transform other folks and other lives. And he certainly did with Coulson. He used them for eternal purposes. And not only was his life changed, but thousands of other lives were changed because of that. And our passage continues. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God's warning the people about the deception of Shemaiah and the others, the diviners of that time. And, and they were given the e an easy message that it's not going to be hard, that it's going to be easy, that you're going to come back and, and you're not going to have to struggle at all. So just, just get ready for that. But that was not the Lord's message. And it doesn't take long to look around the church today and hear that message. That message that accept Jesus and everything in your life is going to be great and it's going to be smooth. And, and all you have to do is say yes and it's all going to be good. Life is not that way. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit with us. We can get through anything in our life because of, of God's power within us. But we are going to face stuff. We are going to face struggles. Saying yes to Jesus doesn't mean that, that, that everything's going to be perfect in your life. What it means is that you have a source of strength and a source of power and, and us, the body of Christ, to come together around one another so that we can live out this journey together. That's the message. Suffering is part of that message from Jesus. We're going to face trials. We're going to face challenges. Jeremiah continued, he said, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's your pass, here's your verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the verse in the context of the passage, right? The prophecy of Jeremiah presented a difficult case for, for the exiled Israelites because they didn't want to be in Babylon. They were, they were trapped. They were imprisoned there. They were going to be there for 70 years. And he's very clear with this in this prophecy. Hey, look, you're going to have sons and daughters. And by the way, you're going to be there so long that have your sons and daughters have sons and daughters so, so, that, so that you'll be ready to come back when that time comes. But it's not going to be fast. It's going to take a while. It's going to take generations. But after that comes hope. After that comes a future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
But it doesn't end there because there's more to this passage. What is required? It's this. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The Israelites will call on God. They'll come and they'll pray to God and he will listen to them. All they needed to do is to seek him with their whole heart, to seek him honestly. And they would be gathered, and they would be brought back, and they would be restored to their land. And that restoration, by the way, happened later. It happened under Ezra and Nehemiah. But that's another story of difficulty, division, and struggle that eventually led to triumph. In fact, when you read Scripture, you're going to find that that's pretty prevalent, that there is difficulty, there is struggle, and in the end, there is, pri- there is triumph because God shows up. And so my main point this morning, my main point is that there is hope available to us because God doesn't go anywhere. God doesn't leave us. He is with us. He will walk with us through whatever we're going through. We persevere in the trial. We persevere in the challenge. We persevere in the struggle, and in the end, we'll find that triumph that comes from God, from a faith in God. It's a good feeling when God shows up just in time, but the best feeling is when you realize he's never left you, because he hasn't. He hasn't. We may not sense him, we may not feel him, but he is with you, and he is with me, and he is not going anywhere. He is not going anywhere, because that's who our God is. So what do we make of this passage of Scripture, though? I mean, it was clearly written to a specific group of people at a specific time regarding a specific event. So I wanted to do a little bit more exploration. Because does it still apply? Is this a passage of Scripture that applies to our lives today? And one of the great things about the Bible is that it is multi-leveled. Much of the prophetic literature in particular is written to a specific group but there's another message contained within it. It's a sub, subtext, so to speak. The prophet is writing to the people, and God is writing to us. And that happens in the Bible a lot. It happens in the Bible a lot. Uh, one of the primary examples is from Isaiah, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. The theologian H.A. Whitaker pointed out the dual fulfillment. This is the Emmanuel prophecy, and the, the verse is... Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know who that's about, right? Jesus? Yes, it is. And the first reference is to the birth of a child who would be assigned to King Ahaz. The child to be born is Ahaz's heir, Hezekiah. The maiden is Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Primary? That's what Isaiah was writing about. You know what God was writing about? Jesus. You know, that's one of the beautiful things that happens when we dig, when we begin to get into the Word and we begin to learn and, and, and go deeper. It's one of the reasons why passages like this one in Jeremiah are so powerful for us. But let's keep digging. Let's look at God's character through Scripture to see if this is the kind of passage that would still 
come to us and be applicable for us. So our, our passage is, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity, gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you to and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So a question that has to be asked is, does God have a consistent message through Scripture? And the best way to check that is to check Scripture to Scripture. What does the Bible say? And, and you've heard this passage that we've talked about it in here. It's out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And I'm going to, again, we've been talking about 714. Well, let's expand just a little bit. Beginning at verse 11, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and, and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Right? You will seek and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. Sound familiar? Jeremiah was writing over here, and, 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 and in the Chronicles, it's written over here, and it's saying the same message from God, that seek me, with, seek me with all your heart. Turn from the ways that are drawing you away from me, and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. And a cool point about this, I mean, they're writing about Solomon's temple. You know where the temple is now? It's us. We are the temple of God. And God shows up in the temple. God shows up in the temple. So we have consistency in these two very different places in Scripture. So this message is one that God gives to us to give us hope. Even when things are darkest, even when things aren't going right. But it does beg the question, and Mike, those are, that's nice, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Is it still consistent into the New Testament? Does God continue to promise these same things? Well, a quick one that comes to mind is 1 John 1, 9. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. In other words, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven and he will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. Does this begin to come together? This is the beauty of the Bible. This is a God's message across time and across eternity to us. And when we start to go, let's go further. Matthew 6, 28 to 34. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon and in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given 
to you is there. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, if you take yesterday and you, and you pour it into today and you take some of tomorrow and you pour it into today, what happens? It makes a mess right here on the floor. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you. But Jesus has more to say. This is Jesus in John. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I will heal your land. So all of that traveling, we just traveled through thousands of years to get here. It's kind of where we start. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This message, this message from God is one that stands the test of time. And it stands the test of Scripture. And what that means is that God indeed has a plan for you and for us. That plan is to prosper you. That plan is to give you hope and a future. And that prosperity may not look like what we want it to look like, right? Because I would prefer to, you know, prosper me with some, you know, million bucks here and there. That'd be, that's prosperity to me. I mean, throw some money at me. That's, <laughs> come on, Lord. That's make it rain. That's right. There is a cloud. Come on. That would be my preference. But, you know, I'll bet Joseph didn't want to be in prison either. I bet Charles Colson didn't want to be in prison. And story after Moses definitely didn't want to go to Egypt. And yet God prospered them in different ways. God took Colson's bad choices and turned them into a positive. And just like the people of Israel, Charles Colson, Moses, countless people in Scripture, countless people in our lives, God will take the circumstances that we find ourselves in and he will transform them. He will move them. See, God's good plan for your life is not buried under the mistakes of the past. God's plan is, is, is not something that's hidden. He has a plan for your life. It's a good plan. It's a loving plan. And that plan is still in effect. You haven't missed it. You haven't missed it. I have part of my brain that, that wants me to think, look, dude, you did enough stuff wrong in your life that you missed it. You blew it. You don't have a chance. That's a lie. God's plan is in effect, and it's here. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what life's done to you. It doesn't matter what the enemy's trying to do to you. God's plan will see you through. He's working in your life today. And when you see this passage, I hope that it reminds you of that plan. It reminds you that there is a plan, that God is not leaving. He's with you through it all. And I have to level with you, though, because this is not easy. It's not easy. 
I mean, the words are easy, right? It's easy to say. But it's really hard to put into action sometimes. When life takes us and knocks our legs out, when life knocks us over, it's like, okay, where's your plan, bud? Because I can't see it. If you're here, where are you? So it can be really difficult. And then God will do little stuff along the way to remind us that he actually is with us. He walks with us through things. We walk with each other, though. Don't miss that. When stuff happens in our lives, too often we try to walk alone, and we need not do that. We are the body of Christ for a reason. We are here to support and encourage and build one another up so that we can get through things together, not alone. And that's hard, too. For we see only in part now that God is at work in places that we don't see. And I'm grateful for that. On September 11th, 2001, terrorists flew two planes into the World Trade Center. And there are, they got to, survivors got together to tell some of the stories of that day. So I just wanted to touch on a few of those. See, one of them took his son to kindergarten because it was his first day of kindergarten, so he didn't go to work that day. One of them missed his bus. Can you imagine you're in New York City, you miss your bus, would you be a happy camper? One missed a taxi. One spilled food on her clothes and had to go change. One's car wouldn't start. And then there was the man who got a new pair of shoes that morning, but before he got to the office, he got a blister on his foot, so he had to make a stop. Each of those events is a messed up event, right? It's like, in the moment, you're going, what? And it's the reason that many people are alive today. A series of what would only be considered messed up events. The situation you are in, the situation I am in, is one where God will work it out to the good. No matter what it is. He'll show up. He'll help you. Because God desires to bless us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Those are plans to, to give you a hope and a future. Sometimes we get to see it in advance, which is really cool. I really like that. Sometimes, though, usually, actually, we only get to see it in the rearview mirror and get to see God's hand. But it's always there because God is always there. It's not going anywhere. He's going to walk with you.